Well, would you guys, sorry, we just had you sit down. Let's start with reading the scripture. Will you stand with me as we read tonight's passage? We're going to be in Matthew chapter 4, skipping ahead just a little bit, but starting in verse 12 through 17. Now when he, that is Jesus, heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness, have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son. We thank you that even on a cold night tonight, we are able to gather together. Father, even tonight, when it is cold, and it's easy to have hard hearts with just the busyness of the season and everything looming over us, last-minute details to figure out. Father, will you help us to have soft hearts, ears that long and yearn to hear, Help us to see what you have for us tonight in your word. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, uh, many years ago, I made a very foolish decision. I was uh, visiting some friends in Champaign, Champaign, Illinois, at the University of Illinois, and uh, this was while I was in college, and I was in a weird season of my life where I really enjoyed sleeping in my own bed, which that's not the weird part, But that if I was within driving distance, and by driving distance, I mean like four or five hours of my own bed, it didn't matter where I was, like I would drive home no matter the time of night because I really wanted to sleep in my own bed. So I'm I'm visiting friends in Champaign, and it's about, I don't know, maybe 1 a.m., and we get done hanging out, and they have a couch or a floor for me to sleep on. I don't really remember which one, but I'm like, nah. I'm going to sleep in my own bed. And Champagne is like three hours away from Bloomington. And so I'm like, no, it's 1 a.m. I can make it, I can make it home by 4. I'll get a few hours of sleep in my own bed. Oh, this will be glorious. So I hop in my car, 1 a.m., and start driving home. And that turned out, that was the foolish decision. Because that night in Illinois, there was a very, very thick and dense fog. We're talking so bad that when you're driving down the interstate, I mean, it was... You, it was like one of those, you could see maybe 15 to 20 feet. And, you know, I'm driving, and I, I'm just like white-knuckling on the steering wheel. I'm, I'm, what is going to come flying out at me out of the dark? You know, is there a car in front of me? Is there a car behind me? Am I going to run off the road? I don't know. And I probably was not going as slow as I should have been going. But, uh, you know, I was young and stupid, making foolish decisions. Now, praise be to God, I did make it home. But I do remember... While I was driving, just thinking, why did I not wait until dawn? Because, you know, when the sun comes up, it often burns that dense fog away, and it doesn't stick around. If I had just waited, I would have been much safer in my drive. And I knew that dawn was coming, 
but instead I chose to drive in the dark. And it gave me one of the most, I don't know, harrowing experiences I've ever had. And I, to this day, I don't like really driving at night, and I don't like driving uh, certainly in the fog. And as I was kind of reflecting on Advent and on this passage, I've been struck by just the reality that Jesus' arrival is an arrival of light. And that we so often live in the dark. We live blinded to what's in front of us. But Christ has brought light. And we have this whole season of the year set aside where we are reminded that light has indeed come. And that our passage today shows us that light has indeed dawned. And that there is hope. That God has brought hope. That we don't live in a season of darkness but that the kingdom of God has come. Dawn has come. So in this passage that we read today, we see this verse or this kind of passage in Isaiah that that Matthew pulls from. He's quoting from Isaiah chapter 9, which uh, Susan and Dale read for us just a minute ago. But I want to kind of hone in on a couple of things that Matthew highlights in these verses. The first is who gets to see the light, but also what light has come. There's a who and a what that we're kind of going to dive into tonight. So let's talk about this who sees the light. Who sees the light? And my apologies, I actually forgot my phone. You guys are going to have to click with me, so (laughs) I can't do it myself. My phone is safely in my pocket, not where uh, I'll be able to click. But when you see in verse 15... Who sees the light is the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Galilee of the Gentiles. We spoke a couple weeks ago how Galilee was seen as this second-rate place. If you were living in Jerusalem and Judea, you would look to the north and see Galilee and be like, "Eh, yeah, Galilee, no thank you. We even see in John, one of the disciples of Jesus says, Nazareth, can anything good come out of there? Galilee of the Gentiles. There's a large Gentile population living in Galilee. It was second rate. But Matthew here again is highlighting that it is Galilee that gets to see the light. Now, in its original context in Isaiah, Galilee was part of the northern kingdom of Israel. And at the point when Isaiah is prophesying, the northern kingdom was oppressing the southern kingdom. And Isaiah prophesies their downfall. Before this, he's talking about how they're going to be overrun. They're going to be destroyed. The southern kingdom, Judah, was going to be rescued. But then he shifts gears and says, yeah, this place, this place of Zebulun and Naphtali, Galilee of the Gentiles, the place where there's interbreeding and mixing, these people who have rejected God, these people who are going to be exiled because they've hated their God, these people are going to see a great light. That's what Isaiah is initially saying. So here we have Matthew again picking up on these themes and talking about this second-rate place, this place that's rejected God, this place full of half-bred people, as Isaiah would talk about it. Those people, the place where there is contempt, the place that's going to be destroyed, that place there is going to be hope. Hope for those people. Ugh, these people are enemies the ones we don't like, the people who are dwelling in darkness. 
I don't know if you've ever felt like you yourself are dwelling in darkness. I know for me, I certainly feel that quite often. It's like, what the heck am I doing? Even today, we as a family, we're celebrating Christmas because uh, we're going to be obviously here tomorrow morning and then we're going to be traveling after that. So we opened presents together. And I just remember earlier this morning, I, well, Rox is not in here right now. I think she's in the nursery, but she could affirm this. Just not the most kind things came out of my mouth. And all day, I've been kind of wrestling with that reality of, man, Mark, you screwed up again. Rox's Christmas was kind of ruined because you opened your fat mouth and complained about something. And I'm, you know, I, I came here and was kind of sitting in my office and like thinking, Lord, I feel like I'm just in darkness. But Lord, why would you want to bring me any light? I don't deserve it. And I'm reflecting on what I'm about to preach on and realizing, yeah, light has dawned even for someone like me. And praise be to God that he has brought light. So we see who sees the light. But I also want to talk about this idea that they're walking in darkness. What are they doing? They're walking in darkness. Because we can all relate to that. We like to think of those people out there as the ones who dwell in darkness. But the truth is, it, it is all of us. At one point or another, we're walking and dwelling in darkness. And walking in darkness ultimately means walking apart from God. Walking in sin, being disobedient to God, rejecting Him as our King, rejecting the kingdom of heaven. And that results in three main things. One is suffering. Suffering in our own lives, suffering in the lives of the people around us. We see that even in the lives of the people of Israel. They rejected God and they suffered. We feel like we're often trampled upon because we live in a broken world, but we also trample upon others. We have suffering. We also have ignorance. Darkness brings ignorance. We don't know where we're going. I mean, how often have you stubbed your toe in the dark? Or, you know, Legos got left out on the floor and you end up walking across those. That is no fun. You're stumbling around in the dark. I think the same is true of when we don't have God's Word, when we don't pay attention to it. It's like we're walking in the dark. Galilee of the Gentiles had rejected God's word and they were walking in the dark. They didn't hear from the Lord. They didn't know what he had to say to them. So we have suffering, ignorance, but we also have death. Death, where we are separated from God. That's the reality of darkness. And that's the place where Jesus goes. He goes to the place where there is darkness. The second-rate place. The people who are walking in darkness. The people who are reveling in their darkness. It's those people who have seen a great light. We have light. So we have darkness on the one hand, but that's not the end of the story. God doesn't leave us in the dark. He brings the light. Light has dawned. And it's not this abstract light has just kind of dawned somewhere, but it's dawned for the people dwelling in darkness. And that light is the Son of God. It's not for an abstract people, and it's not an abstract idea. It is God Himself bringing light. God coming to this world. God showing us that He has not abandoned us to the dark. We read Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 to 7, so I'm not going to read it again. But in Isaiah chapter 9, 
specifically in verses 6 and 7, we see that it's no ordinary light that's come. In verses 3 to 5, that may be verses that you're not familiar with. Matthew quotes verses 1 and 2, but when he's drawing stuff out of the Old Testament, he's not just kind of plucking verses out and saying, okay, this fits what I want to say, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to, I only want this. He's really directing our attention to everything that's surrounding that verse. And so in Isaiah chapter 9, in the first two verses, you have this idea where the people are walking in darkness and this light has dawned. And then in verses 3 to 5, we see God saying that the oppressor is going to be, there's going to be no more. Like the oppressor, his yoke is going to be cast off. The yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, it's broken. That comes in verses 3 to 5. This idea of peace and prosperity is coming. But then in verse 6 and 7, that's where we get the why. So we have this idea of light has dawned, oppression is being broken, but why? Because, verse 6, for to us a child is born. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and prince of peace. It's beautiful. Let me read verse 7 to you because it keeps going. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Here, go ahead and go back to verse 6. But we see, again, for to us a child is born. born. This light comes because a child has come. And it's no ordinary child. You can't look at this and think, oh yeah, that's just a normal king. Yeah, I think it's a little blasphemous to think that that's just a normal king. It's not. It is God himself who has all authority. That's what it means to have the government on his shoulders. All authority has been given to him. And these titles, wonderful counselor. That means he's with us. He's our advocate. He walks with us. He cares, but he's also powerful. He is the mighty God, the God who has all power, the God who spoke everything into existence. He is the mighty God, but he's familial. He is the everlasting father. You know, interestingly, God is not often referred to as father in the Old Testament. He's not. That's actually a very New Testament idea, and it's not to say it doesn't pop up in the Old Testament. But here we have this king who is clearly being identified with God also being given the name Father. And he's not just some father who's in and out, but he's an everlasting father who will always be there for us. He's also the prince of peace. He brings restoration. He brings hope. In the midst of a world full of darkness and pain and suffering and brokenness, this is where this child brings peace. Peace. So when you think about the light that is dawning with this child, it is the true light that we need. Because those things are the things that we need, is it not? We need a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, a prince of peace. When the darkness threatens, when the darkness is there, it's like, oh, Lord, this is what I need. And God says, yes, it has been given. Light has come. The Son fixes our suffering. He relieves us of our ignorance. 
He banishes and deals with our sin and He conquers death. Those things that darkness bring, the Son deals with all of them. He's the one who brings light into darkness. It's not in just an abstract thing. If you ask our culture around us, they have no idea why we celebrate the idea that Jesus brings light. Why do we have Christmas lights? My kids love Christmas lights, especially the three-year-old. You, you drive down the street and she's like, Christmas lights, Christmas lights. It's like, yes, yes, there's some more. But it's not just because it's a dark time of year and we love light. No, it's because there is a real light in Christ that has come. The sun fixes our suffering and our death, and we need to hear that he is the light because Jesus' light enables us to see. Jesus' light brings relief. Jesus' light brings knowledge. It illuminates the scriptures and helps us to see him. And Jesus' light brings life in place of death. And it's all for those who we would least expect. Galilee of the Gentiles, those dwelling in darkness. And this shows what God's character is like. He's not coming to those who have it all together. He's coming to the weak and to the frail. Those who have rejected him. So you may be here this evening and you feel like, God can't possibly love me. I have loved the dark. But the truth is, God offers you his light. His light has come. Will you believe that it's there? Look at what Jesus says in verse 17. Here, go, back, go to Matthew 4, 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Those of you who were here this past Sunday, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? I'm not going to unpack all of that because I did just spend, you know, 40 minutes last week doing that. But we're, we're here. We're shown. We're given a choice. Repent. Turn to the Lord. Because this light has dawned, the kingdom of heaven is here. You can turn to the Lord and surrender to him. Jesus is the light that has dawned in the darkness. May we see this. Take heart, take hope, and then worship him this Christmas. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus to be the light in the darkness. We thank you that light has dawned in the least likely of places, the second-rate places, because, Lord, we feel like we are second-rate. We need you. Father, forgive us of the ways that we have rejected you and have walked in darkness, and we praise you that Jesus has brought light. Thank you for the hope and the light that is in Christ. May we see that light clearly tonight, tomorrow, and for every day and waking moment that we have. May we remember that Christ is our Savior, that he is the light of the world. He is the source of all joy, and we worship him here tonight. pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.